the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Thanks for joining us for hour number two on AM 1420. The answer, it's a uh, Friday morning, a free-for-all Friday, in fact, the 27th morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Appreciate you being with us. Uh, Merry Christmas belatedly and Happy New Year uh, in advance. Uh, appreciate you spending some time with us. It's free-for-all. Anything you want to hit, anything you want to talk about is fair game at 216-901-0945. Also, 888-281-1110. You can tweet to me if you wish. And uh, Facebook or parlor comment to me at France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z, on all the social media platforms, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, France Radio. But we are talking about drugs for a moment more here. Pete Buttigieg, uh, potential frontrunner for the Democrats in the uh, their cesspool uh, as they head to Iowa for the first caucuses, and then, of course, the New Hampshire primary. And uh, he was doing an interview with the Des Moines Register in which he declared that in his world, we should be taking, quote, significant steps toward taking incarceration off the table for possession of drugs, not just marijuana, but drugs all drugs. The reporter clarified, you mean all drugs? He said, yes, all drugs. He said, that's right. Cocaine, meth, ecstasy, heroin, fentanyl, obviously uh, prescription drugs, which of course can be used for sale. Um, possession should be, should be essentially decriminalized, or at least not punishable by incarceration, only punishable by potentially fines. And who knows about, you know, ordered treatment, etc. But he just said, no more jail. Which, of course, to me, again, is very simple pandering. He is barking toward uh, certain members of the community in the voting demographics that he is having a hard time with, suggesting that this might make him uh, put him in a favorable light with them. But to me, what it does is it puts him into an even worse light than he was already in, because he is ignoring the extraordinarily deadly component of drugs. I mean, do we need to point out 
that the, the most recent one that I found nationwide, there are more current studies about the number of overdoses, drug overdose deaths um, per year, more recently state by state. But nationally, the first one that I found, or the freshest one, the newest one I found was from 2017, so it's two years old. 70,200 people died from drug overdoses in 2017. That was an increase of about 10% over 2016. Since 2000, when the U.S. drug overdose death rate was at 6.2 per, uh, people per 100,000 in America, to 14.7, well over double in 2014, it has only gotten worse. 70,000 70, people, that's about what? Help me with my math. About 12,000 more than we lost in Vietnam during the entire war. As in one year, in 2017, that number is probably higher when we get to 2018 numbers, 2019 numbers, probably higher. What do you think is more likely to happen from a Buttigieg-slash-progressive-Democrat proposal to, to take incarceration, jail, or prison off the table for possession of drugs? Do you think it is more likely that that number will skyrocket higher or do you think it will decrease? Shouldn't the goal be to decrease the number of people dying from drug overdoses? And what do you think decriminalizing or taking prison or jail off the table is going to do? Is it going to increase or decrease the number of people using and dying? I think it's pretty obvious. But it's not just the drug overdoses, as I was talking about. And I don't want to sit here and lecture. And I know I'm already doing that to, a, to an extent. And I apologize. And if you want to disagree, you can. And I'll take your calls. But... It's not just about the user who overdoses. What about the kids left behind from the user who died uh, overdosing on drugs? What about the family, the spouses? And what about those who don't die but just continue to use? They can't hold a job because they're high or they're stoned or they're strung out all the time, so they need more money to get their next fix. What do they do? No more paychecks? Then they end up stealing for it. Stealing from people they know. Stealing from people they don't know. And if they can't just do it with nonviolent theft, you know, burglaries and and those sorts of things, then they turn to flat-out robbery, muggings, taking uh, forcefully from people so they can get their next fix. Look, I'm not telling anything you don't know. This is not, I'm not reinventing the wheel here by saying drugs are an extraordinarily dangerous problem for the people of the United States. We know this, but to just essentially say, let's give up, and let's just say no more prison for people using hard, hardcore drugs, it's going to take that problem and multiply it by a factor of 10, minimum. Because while there are tons of people using, as I just pointed out by way of the number of deaths, while there are tons of people using and and already destroying their families, already uh, uh, you know uh, 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 ruining their own lives and the lives of people around them. There are some people who don't partake because they are afraid of the penalties. Let me ask you this, and this is going to be a goofy analogy, and maybe it doesn't work, but I'm just kind of riffing here. Okay, when you know there are no police around, do you always go the speed limit? Chances are you're going to say no. If I know for 100% certainty that there are no police around, am I going to press it? Yeah, probably. Okay. 
What if you found out that the government was never going to write speeding tickets again? Speeding tickets have been taken, quote, off the table, the way he wants to do with incarceration for drugs. What do you think would be the likelihood that you would maintain your, your speed limit or that now that the barriers of, uh, uh, that the, uh, deterrent is gone of, of a fine of $200 or $250, points on your license, potential increase in your insurance premiums, et cetera. Once those things are off the table because there will be no more tickets, do you think you are going to continue to go the speed limit? Do you think you're going to continue to just push it to maybe five over or do you think it's going to be the Autobahn? It's going to be like the German Autobahn where there are no speed limits. People are going to be going nuts. There are some people who only don't speed because they fear the law. Now, whether that analogy is perfect or not, and it's probably not perfect, I think it does illustrate the point. There are some people who don't use drugs who might be have, have, have considered it, or maybe they used it for the first time at a party when somebody gave some to them and they liked it, but they don't want to go out and try to score some of their own so they can repeat that because they're afraid of being caught and afraid of going to prison. That's what we're talking about here. If you remove the penalty, people will get away with what they can, whether it's driving or whether it's scoring drugs or any number of other things. If you knew you couldn't go to prison for shoplifting, if you knew there was no chance you're going to jail, See, right now, I walk into Discount Drug Mart, which I shop at a lot, as I tell you all the time. I see the sign on the door. There's a sign on the front door that says, free ride in a police car if you shoplift. We prosecute all shoplifters. Then you go to the bathroom, which is usually back by the courtesy center. There's a sign on the door of the bathroom. Free ride in a police car if you shoplift. We prosecute all shoplifters. That means people don't think that you can go into the bathroom, stick some stuff in your pockets or under your clothes, and then come back out and walk out of here because we're going to catch you and you're going to be arrested. The, the intention is to deter the bad behavior, deter theft. And it works. I guarantee you it works. There are people who might be thinking, I really want this. I don't have the money for it. I can slip it inside my pocket. Nobody's watching. Or um, if I get caught and somebody is watching or the camera that I don't know is on me, I'm going to jail. So now I'm going to put it back on the shelf. I, if people don't fear consequences, people will make poor decisions. Prison is a consequence of drugs. Remove the consequence and watch more people make those poor decisions. I can't be any more clear than that. If you disagree, go ahead and vote for Pete Buttigieg. Go ahead and vote for a lawless society in which... Uh, crimes like these are not punished. Let me know how that works out for you. 216 Like I said, I didn't mean to preach, and I apologize if it is preachy, but that is really, truly how I feel about it, and I don't think the statistics um, disagree with me at all. Back after this. All right, 1024, onward on this free-for-all Friday edition of The Authority. By the way, it continues at 3 o'clock. I will be uh, in for the great Dr. Gorka, Sebastian Gorka, America First. I'll be hosting a show today from 3 until 6. So if you get an opportunity, 
Uh, turn on the radio, and uh, we'll have similar discussions, but we'll have also, of course, more time for more news at that time. So make sure you are tuned in. TJ is in Cleveland. Wanted to talk about the drug issue. Hey, TJ, go ahead. Yeah, you know, Bob, two points here. You know, one is we're watching our city and our county literally becoming a killing zone. Almost every day we're witnessing murders, carjackings, break-ins, and drugs, illegal drugs, are at the center of all of this. Uh, as far as this deterrent thing goes, I don't know if it deters or not, but it gets people off the street that shouldn't be on the street. And, and to make a point like you made, a section of our neighborhood, a lot of illegal drugs were being sold. And what the people did that lived around there, they started coming out with their phones and taking pictures of license plates and people that were stopping to purchase their drugs. Right. Well, the result was they took off quickly, exactly. and they didn't come back because they don't want to be on camera. And the reason they took off, because they don't want to take the chance of being arrested and incarcerated. Now, if you take that away, you might as well just open up like McDonald's drive through windows in some of our neighborhoods to sell drugs. I mean, if there's no deterrent there, you know, you've lost everything. TJ, I could not agree with you more. That is exactly right. When people know there is a chance of getting caught, I think they're obviously, as you pointed out, with people coming out with cameras, uh, they're going to be caught, and uh, and they immediately get away from there, and they cease their behavior. They cease the activity. If you tell everybody there's no danger of being caught, if you do get caught, all they're going to do is give you a good talking to and not put you in jail. People aren't going to have any reason to run. Uh, you know, They're going to say, yeah, so what? So I got some drugs here. You can't throw me in jail. The worst you can do is find me, and guess what? I'll pay for my fine by selling a few of my drugs <laughs> and nobody's and nobody's going to have any problem with that because uh we will have we will have uh, legalized their possession and, and you know that one caller you had you know that's talking for you know the opposite yeah you know maybe it i hope it doesn't happen but some desperate drug user blows the back of his brains out carjacks his car because he's desperate he needs the money to support his habit then it's too late to change your mind and your thinking. But, I mean, let's face it, all this violence we're seeing in our, our cities across America, the illegal drugs are at the center of all of it. And now we've got people talking about making it easier. I, I mean, this is just insane, but this is liberal thinking. Yeah. I totally agree, TJ. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate the phone call. I, it doesn't make any sense at all. I think it's a, it, it is just going to exacerbate what is already a terrible problem. 70,000 people OD'd in 2017. And again, that's just the OD. Let's multiply that number by the number of people affected by the, by, by those overdoses. L let's continue that. And oh, by the way, while we're at it, and I've talked about this before when we talk about, you know, there's a nonviolent crime to possess marijuana and so on and so forth. Do you know how many violent crimes are committed to get marijuana from point A to point B? Ask the drug cartels how many violent crimes they commit to control their territory where they deal. Ask them how many crimes they commit to get drugs across the border. Ask them how many crimes, violent crimes, are committed on the way to a user getting the drug, which then is a quote-unquote nonviolent uh, drug offense. Uh, the, the, the number of people impacted in horrific ways by drug use is already um, almost incalculable in the United States. Now multiply that if you take away the threat of jail or prison. North Olmstead, Stephanie, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Stephanie. Go right ahead. Hi. Um, I was, I've been busy during the holidays, but have you had a chance to have Daniel Horowitz on your show talking? Uh, not in recent weeks. Why? What, what About what? Uh, well, he was on, uh, while I was driving, I happened to turn on Glenn Beck's show, and he was on talking to Glenn Beck oh, about five or six days ago, 
and he was talking about this omnibus that uh, Trump was about to sign, which he did. And right. there's three parts to this omnibus. I, I remember one is on trade. I don't remember the other one, but one's on the defense bill, defense spending bill. And you notice on TV how they uh, uh, focus on the defense spending, and under the items they said increasing the smoking age from 18 to 21. That's correct. And I'm getting suspicious now. Where is Jared Kushner? I think he's been uh, doing all these bills behind the scene because Daniel Horowitz said that he gave the Democrats everything they wanted. NAFTA, TPP, plus uh, the unions, everything they ever wanted. So now I'm really suspicious and I'm very concerned. And I think this raising of the smoking age from 18 to 21 and now legalizing drugs throughout the United States I'm just suspicious, and I'm really heartbroken. But I'm still a Trump supporter. I want you to know that. Well, I'm glad to hear that, Stephanie. And no, I have not talked to Daniel in uh, in a few weeks. I will have to reach out to him and and be. But but what he, you just described that he said is accurate as far as what was in that omnibus bill and why it is that they felt the need. You know, here's here's the, here's just, and we'll go to the, the news here off of this, and then we'll come back to take more phone calls. This is just the insanity of liberal thinking, right? Liberals say. If you're 18, you are not wise enough, not smart enough to make intelligent decisions about something as serious as smoking. Those same liberal Democrats who say when you're 18, you can't decide whether or not you should smoke. You have to wait till you're 21. Also want to lower the voting age to 16. Those same liberal Democrats who think you're not smart enough at 18 to decide whether or not you want to smoke a cigarette. The same ones who do think you're smart enough to choose the next leader of the world by voting at 16 also think that when you're four years old, if you say, if you're a boy who says you feel like a girl, they want to start your transition. Okay, just ponder those three things all together for a moment, and we'll talk after the news on AM 1420. We roll onward. I mentioned a few moments ago that I had some really great economic news for you. You you may have already heard this, but uh, Wall Street closed at a record high uh, as NASDAQ yesterday crossed 9,000 for the first time. Uh, NASDAQ gained 0.78% from the previous trading day, closing at 9,022.39. The Dow Jones rose 0.37% to close at 28,621.39. And the S&P advanced 0.51% to 3,239.91. Now, you don't have to understand what all that means, but what you do need to understand is that new records are being set on an almost daily basis in this Trump economy. And you say, oh, I don't invest in the stock market. Yeah, but you're 401k is invested in the stock market. Stock market. Your retirement is in play, and you are just killing it in this Trump economy. It is so extraordinarily important for you to know. As it pertains to real-world um, eco- economics on Main Street, well, 
Americans are spending like we are living in prosperous times, and we are. There was a 3.4% jump in overall sales this year's Christmas sales, slightly beating MasterCard's projection of a 3.1% increase. And we are spending record amounts of dollars uh, at the holidays online. More and more people are buying online. More and more people are using e-commerce to the tune of 18.8% higher than last year. 14.6% of all holiday holiday retail spending, despite a shorter post-Thanksgiving shopping season because Thanksgiving was so late this year, uh, people are still spending money in record levels. So... We just continue to spend because people know they continue to earn. They know that their jobs continue to improve. People are getting promoted. People are getting new jobs. People are getting higher wages. The American economy, people are bringing home more of their own pay and their paychecks, but thanks to the tax cuts. People's businesses are expanding, creating more opportunities because of the deregulation, getting government off of the backs of business owners. In other words, all of the stuff that Trump promised in 2015 and 2016, he is delivering by creating the conditions for this economic growth, which sets record after record after record after after record. And meanwhile, through all of this prosperity, through all of this growth, through all of these records, what are the demon rats trying to do? They're trying to impeach him. I want you to ponder that. We are doing too well. He was right. Americans are winning. And they're not tired of winning. And if he is allowed to continue, they'll keep winning. And then they'll reelect him. We can't give them that choice. We can't stop his economy, no matter how much we tried, by getting every liberal economist we could to predict a recession so that people would be scared into spending and making big purchases for fear of the pending recession. We tried. didn't work. People didn't believe it. The economy continues to grow. And they're going to reelect him. So let's take away their votes. Let's take away the opportunity to reelect him. Let's remove him from the ballot. Remove him from consideration. Let's remove him from office. I want you to think about the insanity of that. If we were sitting where we are today and we were hearing that this was happening in another country, you know what we would say? We'd probably call it a blank hole country. We'd probably say, what is wrong with that, that country? What is wrong with those people in that European or South American or whatever nation? What is wrong with them? They are killing it. They're stronger than they've ever been economically, and they're trying to remove their leader. But that's what we're doing. Uh, let's go to uh, Julie, who's calling us from Wadsworth on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Julie. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. I was calling to talk to you about your issue earlier about... Um Drug usage. Yes, please go and ahead. Are, well, one of the points people getting because it's not present in your mind. I've been a foster parent for 15 years, and I've cared for over 30 children, most of which whose parents had drug issues. I've adopted a few, um, and the problem I have is prenatal drug drug exposure on infants. The, the ramifications and the long-term permanent brain damage that's done to these children before they're even born is incalculable. 
I'm, I try living with a prenatal methamphetamine exposed child. It's no one could live with my kids unmedicated for more than a couple of days. The, it's the toll has been insane, and nobody even knows that. All you see is these children that are burdening the school system. The the pain is I, I can't even begin to tell you the damage that's been done to these kids. That that can't be fixed. It's permanent brain damage, and unless you've lived with this and seen the damage and see what the long-term effects are on the society as a whole, you don't know. You don't know. And I'm just speaking from experience. Like I said, I've cared for over 30 children. I've adopted a few of my own. My brother has adopted a few of his. And they're so cute when they're little, but you don't see the damage until they're going to school and how they impact society as a whole. I mean, how, how do we deal with these kids when they're adults? And it's the stuff that you don't even know. Fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. It's a wide range, and it's a shotgun effect on an infant developing infant's brain. You can't tell what happened, what part of their brain was affected, but it's permanent brain damage, and it can't be fixed. And you look at these children, they look perfectly normal, perfectly normal to you. You don't see it on the outside. The damage is in their skulls, and it was done while they were in utero. And I'm telling you, anybody who thinks drugs should be legalized, try taking care of my kids. You won't last two days. You won't last two days with my kids unmedicated. And I, I never would have done that to them, but they can't function without it. And it's just the saddest thing. I never want to put my kids on, on medication, but they can't, they can't survive in the world, and we can't live with them without it. And I just wanted to tell you that the, the, the damage and the pain is incalculable. Julie, um, you're right. Um, when I was you know, thinking of all of the people affected by uh, drug use, by expanded drug use, and by if we, if we were to decriminalize it, et cetera, you're right. I did not think about unborn children uh, who are, uh, who are uh, um, exposed to those drugs while they're in utero. Um, and I appreciate, you, I appreciate you reminding in. us of that. Hold on a second, Julie. I appreciate you reminding us of that because that is so true. And what I want to ask you is, how uh, did you become involved in fostering these kids? Did you, did you, was this by choice, or are you, are you just a foster parent who takes kids in and you don't know at the time and you find out later that they have been uh, uh, exposed to these drugs while they were uh, in, you know, uh, prenatal? No, I, I was a, I'm an attorney. Well, now I'm a judge, but I was an attorney at the time, and I became a court-appointed special advocate, a CASA, in the juvenile court system and also uh-huh. domestic relations, but primarily in juvenile court, and my job was to represent the best interest of children who've been taken into care by the state, by Children's Services, Children's Protective right. Services. And you, your job is to go out and investigate these children, what their life is like, what their family's like, who, who's involved in their life, and you make a recommendation to the court as to what you think is in this child's best interest. So I'm out there in, you know, drug land, I mean, where these children are coming from and seeing how they're living on a day-to-day basis and thinking they got to know there's an alternative to this. They have to know there's an alternative to this. They don't have to live like this. This might be what their family has done for generations, but they don't have to live like this. So I opened my home thinking if I could just show some kids an alternative to what they what they know. And so I started doing that back in uh, 2004. So I my 15th anniversary was this year, and that's my commitment was to 15 years, and I quit. And um, the, the need is ridiculous because homes are closing left and right because they've adopted these children. There's no more room in the foster homes to take these kids in because they're adopted and they're full. They don't have any room. The need for people, foster parents, to step forward, it's not an easy path. It's not an easy path. You have to advocate like crazy for these kids and try to save them and save society as a whole to make them fit in and and adjust and be adapted. But I took them in because I, I hoped that they could see an alternative. But I 
like I said, I, I was taking in little babies and smaller children, and, and you don't really see the permanent damage until they start going to school, and they're trying to sit in a chair and pay attention and cooperate and not poke. I mean, not, we're talking stuff beyond just pulling pigtails you know, and poking somebody with a pencil. Yeah. This is way beyond that. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's way beyond that, and I, people don't really realize it. Talk to some foster parents. You'd be shocked. You'd be shocked at what the stories foster parents can tell you about the kids that have been in their homes. And the parents that had those children before they got, it's just mind-blowing. It's a whole other culture that you have no idea about until you've lived it and talked to those people. So not only do you have the, the damaged families that produce these children, but you have foster families who weren't damaged and are trying to fix this problem and are now living with that damage in their home and trying to help. You can't, you can't, perm, you can't permanently fix this, but you can make improvements, you can adapt, you can help them to be able to function in society as a productive Remember, even if that just means somebody that you wouldn't mind living next door to, you know, that, I mean, that's for some of these kids, that's the most you can hope for, but you don't know that you don't see that until you've had these kids and talked to these parents and it's mind boggling until they've grown until they've grown and, and, and the damage that was done to them becomes more and more apparent. Like you said, you don't know when they're very young, when they're infants and when they're toddlers even, but, um, but Julie, listen, God bless you for the work that you do with these kids uh, and for sharing the message, because that's a that's a great example of why it is we need to continue to fight, even though it seems like a losing fight all the time, the quote unquote war on drugs. If we give in and just legalize it or decriminalize it or not lock people up for it and it gets more people involved in it, as you said, there are more victims, including the most defenseless of all children exposed to these terrible drugs while they're in utero. And it is uh, is more people need to come forward. And yeah. And step up to the plate and, and see what see what the long term effect. It's a whole culture that nobody even talks about or knows about. Julie, thank you for sharing. I appreciate it, and God bless you. Thank you. You too. Happy New Year, thank you, Julie. Happy New Year to you as well. Wow, what a gut wrenching story. I mean, I, you could hear the emotion and the passion in her voice. These children who are exposed to these kinds of drugs before they're born, and then they're born, and people don't realize because you can't see anything body, you know, in terms of their body. Uh, and fetal and I know what some people are going to say, fetal alcohol syndrome, and we don't outlaw alcohol, and that's true. And But I do think that we have opened the eyes of so many. I don't have statistics to prove this, so maybe I shouldn't say it at all. My guess, my I, I would surmise, that we have far fewer examples of babies being affected with fetal alcohol syndrome today than we did 10 years ago, than we did 20 years ago, than we did 30 years ago. As more and more studies and more and more uh, eyes have been opened to the dangers of drinking while pregnant. Um, you know, even if you're just having a glass of wine with dinner and those kinds of things. Also smoking while pregnant. I think we have really come a long way in that regard. Um, but certainly it's not perfect yet. But that does not mean we should make things worse than by legalizing or not criminalizing cocaine, you know, all of the different drugs that we've been discussing under a Pete Buttigieg type of proposal. Uh, because the victims, again, are some that you don't even think about. I wasn't even thinking about the children. Jan is in Cleveland uh, next. Hi, Jan, go ahead. Oh, hi. <clears throat> Pete Buttigieg uh, grew up in a socialist household. He's a socialist. Socialists love dependent people. People dependent on the government, people dependent on drugs, because they have to manipulate people. Donald Trump likes people to be self-sufficient and successful that is not that's not in the communist uh, rule book and uh, the, the fact that these drugs keep flowing in here a lot of people are getting rich and i hope they burn in hell because that could be stopped they they are purposefully making people just like 
they would move children from one grade to another, you know, certain people, just to make them, like, who cares? They're hopeless. We'll manipulate them. Uh, to me, uh, you call them demon rats. I call, I call not all of them. Maybe some of them are just too ignorant to realize that they are part of a, a socialist, communistic thrust that has been in the works for years and years in this country. And maybe they're just too ignorant to know. And if they aren't, and if they are part of that movement, then they're demonocrats. Thanks and Happy New Year. Thank you, Jan, and Happy New Year to you as well. And if you think um, <laughs> that it's going to get any better, then you're sadly mistaken. And I don't mean Jan, I mean anybody. Um, a new study, a survey of millennials has been released. And the numbers are staggering. It's not a quarter. It's not 25% of millennials have a favorable view of socialism. It's not even half of them, which would be terrifying when you think about their numbers. But 70% of millennials say they would vote for a socialist today. 70% of millennials. According to a new survey, the fourth annual report on U.S. attitudes towards socialism, communism, and collectivism was released. 70% of millennials think that socialism is okay. So just to buttress the point that Jan just made, um, it's a terrifying thought. Our future is in serious peril. It's in serious jeopardy. But fortunately, it is also in our hands. We can act, and we must. Right back with the final segment after this on AM1420. Final segment at 10.54. It'll be a short one, but the good news is you have three more hours to get through to me today. I'll be hosting it for uh, Dr. G today, America First, uh, coming up at 3 p.m. Nationwide for Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Very much looking forward to talking with you then as well. If you don't get on, uh, get through on the lines, uh, by the way, in the next six minutes, uh, by all means, tune in and dial up early, and we'll get you on the air then. Uh, we'll go to where? Um, looks like James and Lorraine has been waiting patiently. You're on the air, James. Go right ahead. Good morning, Bob, and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you. Thank you, sir, and to you as well. Okay. I uh, had the opportunity last weekend to take in the movie No Safe Spaces, and I had the opportunity also to take my son along with me. He's a high schooler getting ready to graduate and uh, it was a very good common sense movie i recommend it i recommend taking your teenage sibling uh, or children to it also um how did you how did your did how you did your son react to it how did your son react well, to, he, it, to it if i may ask he was uh he was a, a bit surprised and and somewhat uh shocked too you know, if he goes to college next year, he can expect to see this. And he also said there were some snowflakes, you know, that <laughs> in his in high school that were kind of like that. But uh, it's it was a good uh, eye opener and a good common sense movie. I give it a ten on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I'm I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad that you took your son because uh, he's at a in a very you know vulnerable time right now. Uh, he's a senior. Did you say he's on his way to college? Yes. 
Yeah, so he's yep. he's in that he's in that that very you know vulnerable time right now. He's gonna he's gonna shape his viewpoints uh, on this country and on our liberties and on our First Amendment and so on and so forth, uh, literally right. over the next year. And so it's good that he sees that and knows what's coming, especially when he gets to whatever college campus uh, you know that he goes to, so that he knows yep. what to look for and that he knows you know how precarious of a situation it is and how uh, extremely important it is that he maintain his right. Right, to free speech and not have to yep. uh, be censored by those who would uh, uh, demand Absolutely. because he is invading their safe spaces. I mean, it's free really extraordinarily. Is, is the most important part about, about that message was that it was free speech. That's and right. Thank you for taking my call. And it's being limited, James. Thank you for the call. It's being limited by so many on the American left who don't believe that free speech should be allowed. And I'm not exaggerating. This isn't hyperbole. The, these people truly think that free speech should be limited to that speech which is not offensive to anyone or any group at any time. And the bottom line is, and I know I'm preaching to a very intelligent choir here, so forgive me, but that's precisely why the First Amendment was necessary to be written. So that free or so that speech that is offensive is not regulated. If everyone spoke in flowery language in which nobody was offended, there would be no need for a First Amendment. But that First Amendment is necessary so that we can say what's on our mind without being punished either by the government or by employers or by whomever. It is, it, it, you gotta watch the movie. I completely concur with James. You gotta watch the movie and if you can take your teenagers, by all means do so. Dave in Lakewood next. Hi Dave, go ahead. Uh, the problem I got the devil is closer than we think. Here's what I'm getting at. Uh, I, I went to Catholic high school. One of my brothers, his job took him to California. And years ago, this is what sickens me, what's thrown in the face of these kids. His son was in a uh, ninth grade class. He was taught this by a teacher in a Catholic high school. Well, you know, today in a Catholic, Catholic church, sex outside of marriage is not always a sin. They've expanded on this and expanded on this. You can take liberal arts and shove it you know where. And it's a shame that people who are teaching youth in Catholic schools have a voice. That's what i got to say today. God love you people. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate the phone call. You make very great points. And I'm going to wrap it up with Sister Mary Grace in Cleveland, uh, last caller of the morning. Sister, go ahead. God's blessings. I've seen a child. That was on every, the mother was on every type of drugs there was. And the point is, you couldn't make that baby rest. It was terrible on the child. But I present to you, God reigns in Ohio. And through much prayer, and I'm talking much prayer to the Father God Almighty, because he's watching that is, uh, thank you, Sister Mary Grace. God bless you for that. And uh, that is a very important message indeed. And that's a great way to wrap up this program today. Thank you so much. If I don't, uh, if you don't hear from me at 3 o'clock, I will talk to you then on Monday at 9. I hope you have a safe weekend. Again, a very Merry Christmas to you. And if you have the opportunity to tune in to Dr. Gorka's show at 3 o'clock today after Dennis Prager, I will be sitting in on America First. We'll talk to you next time, wherever Enjoy that is. Thank you so much. Bye bye. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.